Well, God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today, and thanks so much for coming. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there, so we bring that service to you, wherever you are, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world for that matter. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises in your life. Now, would you turn in your Bibles to Hasefer Bereshit, Be'evrit, Be'evrit, in Hebrew, Hasefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis. And today we're in chapter 46. We're really going along toward the end of Genesis. We'll be hitting the end of Genesis here in a few short weeks. And that's where we're going to be today in chapter 46. And we'll also put those verses up here for you in the video, as you know, just to make it easier for you to follow along. I'd like to talk to you today about with us. There's so many decisions that we face in life, so many options it seems, and it's difficult to evaluate the benefits and the problems that each option brings along with it. And to complicate things, you don't know the future. How are you going to make the perfect decision about something today when you don't really know what tomorrow will bring? How can you know what kind of problems might come up along the way? There's only one way you can be sure of your path. There's only one way in which you can know that everything will turn out good. There's only one way to be able to finally rest in your decisions, to finally have peace in life. Not just for today, but every day, for the rest of your life. And that's to give all those decisions, all those plans, all those cares and worries to the Lord. Then stay close to Him each and every day. You see, when God is with you, everything will work out ultimately for the good, very good for you. And the good news is, is that God has said He will be with us and that He will never leave us nor forsake us. So everything works out when He's with us and He's never going to leave us nor forsake us. So the question is, will you give it all to the Lord and let Him take, direct and, and take and direct your life and lead you down the path that he knows, he knows you need to go? He knows the future, right? He knows where to put you today to where you'll be safe and secure tomorrow. So long as He is with us, we're protected. We're safe. We're cared for. We're guided by Him. We're kept secure in His loving hands. That's the way it was with Jacob in our scripture today in chapter 46 of the book of Genesis. Let's take a look at it now. We'll see what it's talking about. It says in Genesis 46, 1, So Israel, remember Jacob's name, had been changed to Israel by the Lord. Jacob meant supplanter, deceiver, heel catcher. But God changed his name once his heart was changed. God changed Jacob's name to Israel, which means now governed by God. So Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Isaac. Chapter, verse 2, rather, it says, Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here I am. Verse 3 continues, And so he said, God said, I am God, the God of your father, do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there, and I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will surely also bring you up again, 
and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Now, I want to pause after only these four verses. Most of our study today is going to be centered around these four verses. Even though we're going to go all the way to the end of this chapter, and we'll make it there pretty quick. It's a fairly short chapter. But I want to look very closely at these four verses. And you say, well, what's the big deal? They were just introducing the chapter. No, I want to pause here and look at these verses to get a feel for what's really happening there, what's really happening in these verses. You remember in our background from the last chapter that the sons of Jacob, the ten sons, along with Benjamin, Benjamin, the younger brother of Joseph, all eleven of them went down to Egypt and Joseph revealed himself to them. And Pharaoh was very happy that Joseph's family had come to him. Joseph assured them, don't you worry. You meant evil to me when you sold me into slavery, but you know what? God meant it for good. And now I'm in a position to give food to our whole family to save not only the people of Egypt, but also the people of our family because God put me here for such a time as this. And so Joseph was really happy that he had seen his brothers, but his brothers who sold him into slavery, they're going like, oh, is he, is he angry with us still after these, these last 13, 15 years? Is he still angry with us? Maybe he's going to put us in prison. Maybe he's going to have us killed. We don't know. But Joseph assured them. He said, don't be afraid. Just like the Lord assures us when we finally come to him, when we finally know who he is, he says, don't be afraid. Let that stuff just be in the past. Let's go forward. There's a good life that I have for you, the Lord says. I have plans for good and not for evil. Plans to give you a hope and a future is what he says in the book of Jeremiah. So we see that that's where we left off last chapter. And so they take these carts that Pharaoh and Joseph had provided from the land of Egypt and all of these riches and wealth. And then these pull up outside Jacob's place there in Canaan. Jacob's wondering what's going on. He sees all this uh, commotion and everything and he hears all of this noise and sees all of these carts. It's like almost like the carts of a small army. And he didn't send his boys down there to Egypt with all of those things. And now look at these beautiful carts that they're bringing up in front of the place there where Jacob and all of his family lived, all of that land in which they lived. Jacob sees this. And then he talks to the boys and they convince him that Joseph really is alive. And he sees all these things that's been sent up from the land of Egypt. And he comes to the conclusion it, it must be true. All these years I thought Joseph was dead, but apparently he's not. He's down there in Egypt. He's the son of my beloved wife, Rachel, whom I lost when she was giving birth to Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin. And so these two boys are all I have in my connection. They're all I have left in my connection with my beloved wife, Rachel. Yes, he was married to Leah. Yes, they had had children. Yes, the handmaidens of uh, Leah had also had children with Jacob, but the one he really, really loved was the wife of his youth, Rachel. He had worked so long to get her to be his wife, and she finally was his wife, and they had a beautiful marriage, and when she was having her youngest child while they were traveling, it was a very hard labor, 
and she passed away at that time. And now Joseph and Benjamin are all he has left of his beloved wife and his relationship with her. And so he wants to go down and see Joseph. He's convinced now that Joseph really must be alive. So that's where we see things today. As we see in the introduction of chapter 46 today, it would be easy now to simply glance at these first verses and read them very quickly and go on to what the rest of the chapter is going to say, wouldn't it? But there's a couple of very important things here in these four, first four verses that we want to cover. Things that are very important to your life. Things that we can learn from Jacob's own experience. Very important things to us that can apply to our own lives as well. Now, we see that Joseph starts this journey toward Egypt. Well, you say, well, that's an easy decision to make. There he is in Canaan. They're in the middle of a severe famine. In Egypt, there's food, and Joseph is in charge of the food. Furthermore, the king of Egypt, Paro, which is how we say Pharaoh, Beavrit, or in Hebrew, Paro invites Jacob and all of his family to come down. He says, don't worry about your possessions. Don't worry about what you call wealth. You come down here. I'll show you some real wealth. And everything that you see in Egypt can be yours. That's how impressed he was with Joseph. And he figures, well, Joseph's family is coming. Joseph has blessed me greatly in saving our nation from starvation. And, and famine and perishing now, not only our nation, but the entire region, because God is with Joseph, you see. And so Pharaoh extends this invitation to Jacob. Uh, Jacob could have said, well, what's not to like about this plan? I go down there, I get to see my son that I thought had died, and I get to see him, I get to finally hold him and hug him again and, and he could touch my face and I can touch him and we can make sure that this is really uh, Joseph, this is really Jacob and, and re get reacquainted now after these 13 to 15 years in which he hasn't been with me. That's wonderful news. I'll go down there to see Joseph. But it was even more than that. And the king of Egypt, this place that has all of the food that everybody needs, in a time of severe famine, the king of Egypt who owns all of that food is actually inviting me down and says he'll give me everything we want, everything we need. Now, from the outside, think about that. If you had an offer like that, you'd go, well, what's not to like about that? Yeah, what's wrong with that? But yet, on the way there, we see that in the first four verses, Jacob stops at Beersheba, which is a city in Israel today. And it was well number seven. That's what it means. Be'er is well and Sheva is seven. It was the seventh well that Abraham and Isaac had dug at that time. It was a place in Canaan that they went to and they stayed at. And sometimes in Abraham's case, it was the place he stayed at right before he went down in Egypt. Well, now think about this. Here's Yaakov, Jacob now, going down to Egypt, and God's telling him, don't worry about going down to Egypt. But he remembers his grandfather, Abraham, went down to Egypt on his own plans, and God did not lead him there. And while he was in Egypt, he got all embarrassed because he told the Egyptians that Sarah, his wife, was really his sister. He lied to them. 
they found out that he was a liar. Here's a man of God who they found out who the pagan people found out was lying. That's not a good situation. If you're going to be a man of God, if you're going to be a woman of God, you want to be a man of truth. You want to be a woman of truth, integrity. Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, had that one time when he failed in that. And even Isaac was going down there, and then God had to tell him, don't go down there. Don't go to Egypt. And now the God who did not want Abraham to go into Egypt, the God who told Jacob, or Isaac, Abraham's son, not to go to Egypt, that same God is telling now Abraham's grandson, Isaac's son, Jacob, that God wants him to go into Egypt. So what's Jacob going to do now? He's going to stop and pray. Even though it seemed like everything was beautiful, I get to see Joseph. The king wants us to come. He's going to give us all this wealth, all this food. Everything's going to be far better there. You could have made a human decision on that and said, absolutely, I'm going. But Jacob knows that things aren't always as they appear. Nor do they end up like they started out. So Jacob stops at Beersheba for a while. What was that all about? Jacob wanted to see his son. Jacob wanted to have his family and all the people with him secure. But more than anything, he wanted God to direct his life. Jacob knew that the wise thing to do would be to ask God what he wants him to do. We discussed the plans of man, you know, a, a little bit. and We said that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the way of that uh, plan ends in death. You don't want to be in that situation. And the same way, the verse in Proverbs says, Commit your ways to the Lord and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, the Lord, and He will direct your path. That's the way you really want to live life. Letting God plan your life. Now, we've talked about this so many times. You know, if you've listened to me teach for any length of time, you know that I believe in trusting God. And that it's really all about trusting God. About believing God. In fact, Abraham, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, God had this one testimony about Abraham. He said, and Abraham believed God. And that was what was accounted to him as righteousness. You say, well, I thought Abraham was a man of the law, that he kept all of these things on the law, and that's why God thought him to be righteous. The testimony that we have in Genesis 15, 6, is that Abraham believed God, he relied on God, he trusted in God, and that was what God accounted to him as righteousness. You can have all the good intentions, you can enjoy planning your own path in life. You can enjoy looking at all the things that could go wrong and coming up with a plan around all of those things. But the reality is, is your wisdom is not perfect. It's not perfect today. You can make the wrong decisions in your life today. But beyond that, you don't know what tomorrow holds either. Things can happen tomorrow that completely makes your decision that you make today into a terrible decision. Even though it looks so good when you made it today, tomorrow it might turn out to be the worst thing you possibly could have done. Jacob knew this. 
He knew from his grandfather. He knew from his father. And he knew from his own life too. When God had led him out of Canaan and he went to Laban, family member there and uncle, and took wives, Rachel and Leah, from Laban and worked there all that 20 years or so, Jacob didn't have anything. He didn't have all of his wealth with him. He didn't have other people with him. He was alone. Laban abused him. Laban took advantage of him. Laban lied to him. He changed his salary so many times. And all of these different things, he was cheated by Laban and these other people here, the other sons of Laban. And, and yet God watched out for him. And along the way, when Laban was trying to limit any wealth that Jacob could accumulate, God himself made Jacob actually far richer than Laban. It's not about money. You know that. But what it's about is having God with you in life. Now remember that Jacob's no longer a young man in chapter 46 today. In fact, he's a very old man now. He got about 66 people in his extended family now, and they all depend on his decisions. It was a patriarchal society. Patriarch means the, the father, the elderly father of all of this clan, of all the family, is the one that makes the real important decisions. His decisions affect the life of at least 66 other people, along with all their possessions, their wealth, men, women, and children. Some of those children might be very, very young. Others might be weak. Some of the people might have medical conditions. It's going to be a big undertaking to organize the moving of all these people to another country. All this decision is upon Jacob himself. And there's Jacob himself, by the way. He's now very old. It's difficult for him to endure such a long trip. In those days, you didn't just call a moving company and have them pull up the truck out in front and get all your stuff and drive away and you get in the car and drive away to the new place where you're going to live. That's not the way it happened, of course. You went by a cart. At best, it was pulled along by a donkey, but it was under the sun, constantly beating on you. No moisture to cool that air. Remember, they're in the middle of a severe famine. There was no rain. There's no moisture. There's no crops. It's all dust blowing around. Nothing in the crops. Nothing can be planted. It'll all die. There's no rain. And without that rain, nothing grows. And without anything growing, there's no food to eat. It was an agricultural society. Yes, you could kill a goat. You could... Uh, have some animals to eat and everything, but guess what? The goats and the, all the other animals depend on grass to eat in order to stay alive. And if there's no rain, there's no grass to grow. So it's not going to be very long at all before all the animals will die too because there's nothing to eat. There's no rain. You're out there under the sun. It's beating down on you. You're sleeping at night in the cold. No protection from the animals, the bugs, the insects. You're out in the wilderness. You're out in the wild. Then you had a great many carts to carry all of your things. And many of the people with you would be walking the whole way to the new place that they were moving to. Some of the women and the small children would need to be riding in the carts along with those who were very old and those who were weak from medical problems and situations. In other words... Jacob's age and the size of his family 
contribute to this being a very big, very difficult journey. But Jacob doesn't consider his own age. He doesn't consider the difficulties of the journey or the water or the food that the people and all the animals would need. No, all Jacob wants to know, is God with me? Is God going to be with me? Because Jacob has learned throughout his journey through life that if God is with you, then nothing else matters. I want to say that again. If God is with you, nothing else matters. That's all that's important. Is God with you in life? If God is with you, then everything else is going to be okay. As Jacob takes the time in Beersheba to reflect on all this, he remembers that God has done these miracles earlier in his life. He sees that God has always been faithful to take care of him. So the most important question then is, with, is God with me? Is God with him, he says. And in verse 4, God reassures Jacob when he says, I will be with you and I will go down to Egypt with you. You see, God knew what was on Jacob's mind. And the first thing he says, don't worry. Don't be afraid about going down to Egypt. God always says, never be afraid. Don't be afraid. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm with you. And when I'm with you, I created all that is. I'm all powerful. I love you so much and care for you so much. There's no reason for you to be afraid. All that you see was made by my hand. I can keep you, I can hold you, I can protect you. You don't have to worry. I don't slumber, I don't sleep. You are with me always. You can rest. Your peace is with me. Your peace is in knowing that I am with you. So God gets right to the point that Jacob had been wondering and answers that thought that Jacob had been having. In verse 4, And God reassures him and says, I will be with you, and I will go down to Egypt with you. Something very powerful, very important here that we must remember. That no matter how old you are, no matter how weak you are, no matter how big the task, no matter how far that journey, everything is going to turn out okay if God is with you. As we'll see, and as the history shows, God grew the nation of Israel miraculously while they were down in Egypt, as He said He would. And God showed His greatest miracles to the Hebrew people while they were in Egypt. Remember all those miracles and the ten plagues that He struck Paro with, another Paro that did not know the first Paro? And later on, God is going to make Himself known to all the world by the miracles He does on behalf of the little nation of Israel while they were down in Egypt. Now, greatest miracles that God did was when they were down in Egypt, all because a weak old man named Jacob said yes when God said, it's time to go. I've got another place I want to bring you to. Jacob could have said, oh, Lord, I'm too old for this. I'm just going to retire right here. I want to tell you something. It's just my opinion. I don't think a man of God, I don't think a woman of God retires from that ministry. I'm not saying if you're a pastor, you don't uh, do something else at the end of your life, but I say you never retire from ministry. The calling that God has on your life 
even if it's going to change a few years from now or a few months from now, every calling that He brings to you, every time He brings to you a change in place, a change in your work, a change in where you live, every time He brings that to you, treat it as if it's going to be the rest of your life that you will be faithful to that calling. He'll let you know when time's up. He may not let you know because it may not be a time up. You may live in that calling for the rest of your life. You don't want to be some sort of Christian vacationer or Christian jet setter that sees your calling as going to all the beautiful places all around the world, seeing as many countries as you can see, as many different cultures as you can see. No, put that thought out of your mind. This is not about you. God wants to use you to reach others with His story, with the story of the gospel, the story of His love. Let yourself be a servant to the Lord and treat every calling He gives you as a calling that you are to do until the end of your life here on this earth. Treat it and take it like something that is a lifelong calling. And when God calls, say yes. Jacob said yes, and because of that, the nation of Israel was born later. And God made himself known throughout all the world through the great and mighty miracles, all because a weak old man who found it hard to even travel, who found it hard to even get out of the house, allowed himself to be taken by a cart pulled by a donkey out under the sun and all the exposure of the weather in that day and allowed himself to go all that distance to a strange new country, not knowing anything except that God was with him. Now, in modern Hebrew, it may seem a little confusing when you see the words that are used here in this verse. It turns out that in verse 4, when God says, I will be with you, He uses a special Hebrew word, says, imcha. Im is with, cha is when you're talking to one person, a guy. When you're talking to a single male, not, not talking about a single versus married, but when you're talking to one male, you would say imcha. God is saying, I will be imcha. I will be with you. Imcha. And it's an interesting word in Hebrew. Now, in modern Hebrew, that might sound a little confusing to the Hebrew speakers here. You see, because there's more than one way to say with in Hebrew. We have the word im, which we use in modern Hebrew, im. And then we have the word eat or eat. Uh, basically, it's Aleph and Tav. Im is, is Ein and Mim. And It is Aleph and Tav. Those two letters. Im and It. But the word It is also used as a direct object specifier. Now, this will be technical for just a moment, but bear with me. It's a direct object specifier in Hebrew. We don't have anything like it in English, so you can't really translate it. In fact, even in Hebrew, it's not even spoken. It doesn't even have a sound. You see it in writing, and you see this, you see this Aleph and Tav, eat like that, and it specifies that the very next word in the Hebrew sentence is going to be a direct object. In other words, it's pointing to the word that's going to receive the action of the verb in that sentence. 
That's all the technical stuff we'll talk about. Let's just say that sometimes it doesn't mean with. However, they did not want to use the word im and get confusion with eat. They did not want to use the word eat to mean with in modern Hebrew because it would be confused with the direct object specifier, this unspoken part of the Hebrew language, you see, a direct object specifier. They didn't want to use that to also mean with, and so they used the word im. But then Hebrew words like that, prepositions, have declinations, and just a little bit of technical stuff, bear with me, you don't even have to understand this. In the end, you'll understand. But im means with. But normally, for Hebrew words like that, they would say, okay, if you want to say with me, you would say im e, imi. You would add a short I or double E, whatever you want to, on the end of that im, and it means with me. If I wanted to say with him, I would say im mo, im mo, not mo, like three stooges, im o, im o. You add an O to the end, it means I'm with him. If I want to say I'm with her, I would say im ah. Im ah is for a single girl. If I wanted to say that with us, I would say imanu. Im anu. If you add anu to the end of im, it means us. But they didn't want to use the word im, even though it's what's used in the biblical verse in verse 4 in the Hebrew, where God says, I will be imcha. I will be with you. Im Ha, with you, Jacob. I will be with you. When God said that, you don't say imi or ima or imo anymore when you're making the various versions of that to mean I'm with him, I'm with her, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, this is with me. You don't say that. You instead change that M to a T and you say instead of imi, you go et. E.T. Now, not, not E.T., not the space guy. Don't worry about that. I'm talking about the letter E and a T. E.T. is how you pronounce it. E.T. would be with me. E.T.A. would be with her. E.T.O. would be with him. Well, Stephen, you said a while ago it was E.M.O. that means with him. And now you're saying E.T.O. means with him. That's because they don't use E.M.O., because it gets too confusing, they wanted to use the word for with in modern Hebrew, which is im, but they had to use a T on the end instead of an im to get it, uh, to stop it from being confused with other words. And so we see imo means with him, ima means with her, which is interesting because of course the many, many Hebrew women are called and girls are called ima. Ima. Let's pronounce that with the accent on the end as they do in Hebrew. Ima. Ima. Well, you said Ima means with her. That's pretty appropriate for a child to say of their mother, isn't it? I'm with her. Ima. She's my mother. I'm with her. I'm because of her. <laughs> Ima. She's my mother. So you see, it's, it's, that's the way that they say it. Well, God is saying now to Jacob, I will be imcha. I will be with you. And you could also say 
Because of Him, we are. I'm with Him. As you go through life, that's what you want to say. You want to say, I'm with Him. He's with me. You'll usually find these words alone in the meaning of business partnerships as well in Hebrew. Just a little bit of trivia. When you say uh, a company name like Cohen and Cohen, you would say that in English, maybe for a law firm or something. But in Hebrew, you don't say and like that. You don't say Cohen and Cohen. You say Cohen with Cohen. So you're saying Cohen, E.T. Cohen, or Cohen with Cohen. Cohen with Cohen. And so that's how it's saying. And that's the difference between the words iti and im. Now, the reason why I mention all that is there's a verse in Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, where the Lord says that this coming Messiah, his name is going to be called im anuel. Wait a minute. I remember that from somewhere, Stephen. Didn't you just talk about im and, and anu and you said imanu? With us, that's what you said it meant. Emmanuel, im, with, on you, us. El is a shortened way of saying Elohim. With us is God. Im, on you, El. With, im, on you, us. El is God. With us is God. God is with us. So God Himself is saying that the people will say that His Messiah is going to be called God with us. There's a lot of Jewish people and the rabbis, many rabbis, that don't think that the Messiah is going to be God. And yet God himself, here in the Tanakh, in the book of Yeshayahu Hanavi, Isaiah the prophet, and Perak Sheva Vepasuk Abbasre, chapter 7, verse 14, God himself says, this Messiah that I'm sending to you is going to be known as God with us. That's what the Tanakh says about the Messiah. That's what God says about His Messiah. He's not simply going to be another man who would be born, live for a while, do some good things, and then die. No, God says His Messiah will be called God with us. Why? Because the Messiah truly is God who came to live among us. Here's what I'm saying. When the Messiah is with you, God is with you. And when God is with you, nothing else matters. You have the creator of all things. You have the all-powerful God who spoke heaven and earth into existence. You have the one who loved you so much he died for you to bring you to him in his kingdom of heaven and give you everlasting life. When he is with you, when God is with you, you have all that you will ever need. He will protect you. He'll care for you. He'll guide you. He'll keep you from evil and lead you into paths of righteousness. He is your shepherd. And when the Lord is your shepherd, as you know from Psalm 23, you have everything that you need. Now let's continue. To verse 5, to the end of the chapter, I'll read along with you. Fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba. And the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob their little ones, and their wives, and the carts which Paro had sent to carry him. And so, verse 6 says, So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and they went to Egypt. Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him 
to Egypt. Now, these were the names of the children of Israel, it says, starting in verse 8. We're going to go quickly through these names. This is a matter of record that God wants you to understand that He keeps accurate records of all these people so that later it will be proven that His prophecies are precisely 100% accurate. Verse 8, then it says, Now these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons who went down to Egypt. Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. The sons of Reuben were Hanuch, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Shimon, Simon, were Yemuel, Yamin, Ochad, Yachin, Zohar, Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohat, Merari. Verse 12 says the sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohat, Merari. I'm sorry, that was verse 11. And verse 12 says the sons of Judah were Er, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. But Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. We read about that earlier in Genesis. Then it continues in verse 12. The sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. Verse 13. The sons of Issachar were Tola, Puva, Job. That's how we say Job, Bevri in Hebrew. Job and Shimron. Verse 14. The sons of Zebulun were Zered, Elon, and Yalil. And these were the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Yaakov in Padanaram and with his daughter Dina. All the persons, his sons and his daughters were 33. 33 there from Leah. Then it says in verse 16, the sons of Gad, one of the sons of hers was Ziphon, Ziphion, Haggai, Shuni, Ezbon, Eri, Orodi, and Arili. And it says in verse 17, the sons of Asher were Yimnah, Yeshua, Isui, Beriah, and Serah, their sister. And the sons of Beriah were Heber and Machiel. And these were the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter. And then she bore to Yaakov 16 persons. Then continuing in verse 19, very quickly now, the sons of Rachel, his beloved wife. The sons of Rachel... Ya Yaakov's wife were Yosef and Benjamin. Remember, Yosef is how you say Joseph. Benjamin is how you say Benjamin. Rachel is said by saying Rachel in English, but in Hebrew, Bivrit, it's Rachel. Jacob is pronounced Yaakov. Then continuing in verse 20, And to Yosef in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim whom Asinat, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him in Egypt. The sons of Benjamin were Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. These were the sons of Rachel, sons and grandsons and granddaughters, you see. These were born to Yaakov, 14 persons in all. Verse 23, the son of Dan was Hushim. The sons of Naphtali were Yazil, Guni, Yezer, Shalim. 
25, these were the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, it was her handmaid. And she bore these sons to Jacob, seven purses in all. Verse 26, all the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body, besides Jacob's sons, wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Yosef, who were born to him in Egypt, were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70, 70 people total. 70 people were there. And then it says in verse 28, then he sent Judah, Jacob sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen, the way, the way to get to Goshen because Pharaoh had given them the best land in all of Egypt and that was the land of Goshen and they were to travel there and they had all these carts and they were to travel there and they needed to know how to get there. They didn't have Siri to tell them how to get there on their iPhone, you see. And they came to the land of Goshen. So Joseph made ready, it says in verse 29, Joseph made ready his chariot and went to Goshen to meet his father Jacob or Israel. And he presented himself to them and fell on his neck. He hadn't seen him in 13, 15 years. His father thought he was dead. He fell on his neck and he wept on his father's neck for a good while, it says. Now let's talk about this briefly before we end the rest of the chapter. Goshen, which is the place they're going to, for your information, it means to draw near. Judah, of course, means praise. Hmm. Therefore, it's not coincidental that Judah led the way to Goshen because just like the psalmist says, we enter into his gates of our heavenly Father with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We draw near to him in praise. Goshen meant draw near. Judah meant praise. So praise is leading the way to draw near to God. Now notice also that it says 66 people in total came to Egypt with Yaakov, who was also called Israel. But interestingly enough, in the New Testament, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen says in Acts chapter 7 that 75 people came to Egypt with Yaakov. What's going on here? What's the difference here between the 66 and and this 75, is, is the Bible accurate? I mean, you have two different numbers here talking about the same thing. Well, think of it like this. We know that Joseph and his wife and their two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, could be added to the 66. But they didn't come with Yaakov to get to Egypt. They were in Egypt. Joseph, his wife, and his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, are four people they're added to the 66, that would bring the total then to 70 people. You see how that works out. But then the book of Numbers later in the Torah talks about Joseph's grandchildren and his great-grandchildren as he became older while he was there in Egypt. When you add Joseph and his wife, their two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim in, you get 70. When you add the children and the grand, his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren of Joseph, you add them together, it comes out to be exactly 75, exactly agreeing with what Stephen said in the New Testament in Acts chapter 7. So as always, no surprise, the Bible is true. 
Anytime you think it's not, just remember that one verse. Let God be true, but every man be a liar. Before long, God will show you how two things work together. It looked like they meant something different, but God will show you how they fit together because God's worth is truth, and God's word is truth, and the Bible is always true. God is always true. You can take that to the bank. You can trust that God is true. Now let's finish up the rest of the verses in this chapter real quickly. <clears throat> in verse 30 it says, And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die. He's now seen his son that he thought was dead, and he's relieved to find that he's alive. And now he says, Now I can die in peace since I've seen your face because you're still alive. Verse 31, Then Joseph said to his brothers and his father's household, he said, Now listen, I'm going to go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. Pharaoh wanted me to bring you to him. He didn't know what you did for a living. Okay, verse 32, And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock. And they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. This is what Joseph wants to communicate to Pharaoh. And so he says in verse 33, So shall it be when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? That you shall say, Your servant's occupation have been with livestock from our youth even until now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So basically, even though Pharaoh loves the family of Joseph, he knows it's going to cause big-time problems with the people of Egypt because they consider every shepherd an abomination, some sort of subclass people or something like that. So Joseph is saying, tell Pharaoh that your occupation is with livestock and your shepherds, and then he'll want to put you in the land of Goshen, which is further away from the rest of the people of Egypt. But oh, by the way, it's the best land in all of Egypt, so don't worry about anything. So now... <clears throat> That's the end of chapter 46 in our study for today. and It brings up a question, I think, doesn't it? Do you live your life as if God is with you every day, every moment of every day, everywhere you go? Does your heart see Him there with you, standing beside you, watching over you, giving you your strength that you need, even in your weakness? Is God with you? Do you try to trust your own feelings, your own plans? Or have you committed your way, your direction, your steps to the Lord God Almighty? The Lord has promised all who believe on Him that He will be with you and that He will never leave you and that He'll never forsake you. He has all wisdom. He's all powerful. He has proven His love for you on the cross. Don't go off trying to plan and direct your own life. You give it to God. Because when God is with you, you have everything that you need. Amen? Why don't you give your life to God today, right now? Give it to Him. If you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry. He'll answer you and He'll rescue you from the darkness you're in. And He'll shine His light on your heart and you'll be given a new life. He'll change you into a new person. 
He'll throw all those past failures and sins away and you'll be made completely new. No more guilt, no more shame. You'll be made completely new, given a new start, and He'll give you everlasting life in heaven, and that's guaranteed by God Himself. Now, we want to give you an opportunity today to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your own life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. If you want, you can pray something just like this. You can repeat it after me if you'd like. Just say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life that's, that He's talking about today. God, I want to have that peace in my life. I do believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, I'll tell you something. If you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. In fact, a little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. And over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes that God's making in your life. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about the Lord every day in His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life.